Ah, college. A time of exploration and learning where the world is at your fingertips. But why rely on a book or lecture when you can immerse yourself directly in the culture and history of another country? Coming up on this edition of the Zing Podcast, we talk about studying abroad. Learn the benefits, potential pitfalls, and tips on how to pay for your overseas learning experience from Wayne State Program Coordinator Margaret Ogg and a few of our Globetrotting Quicken Loans team members. Time to break out the passports and start packing for the educational adventure of a lifetime. From beautiful downtown Detroit, Michigan, this is the Zing Podcast from Quicken Loans. Well, hello, everybody. It's the Zing Podcast. Sean T. Johnston here with Miranda Crace. Miranda, how you doing on this fine, humid morning we're having here in the D? Oh, I am great. My hair is really loving this humidity. Pretty frizzy, huh? Uh, yeah. Yeah. My <laughs> hair's thinning, and I can even see how it's frizzing. So it's it's yeah. it's it's hit everybody pretty hard. Yeah. Um, so let's get on topic, if you don't mind. <laughs> uh, studying abroad. Have you ever have you ever done that before? Like that's something that I was always interested in doing. But yeah, that's idea. actually one of my biggest regrets from college is that yeah. I didn't do study abroad. Yeah, me too. Aside from my major that was probably one of my other <laughs> big regrets no no disrespect to lee i know she's a big fan of the broadcast and cinematic arts department and also anybody else who's listening to this and the fact that i'm broadcasting i guess yeah i don't know. know it seems like it paid <laughs> off for you yeah I, yeah now that i think about it yeah. it did pretty well but yeah i remember when i was uh i think i was a junior I had the opportunity to go to cuba of all places and I just, I don't know, I guess I chickened out at the last minute. It was a big regret of mine. Yeah. When I finished, I went to Uganda. Well, when I thought I finished college, oh, wow. I went to Uganda for a while. And then, um, yeah, but it wasn't when I was in school. Yeah. It was like a, I'm done yeah. thing. Just, Hooray, let's go to Uganda, <laughs> where everybody goes to celebrate their college. But Wait, you didn't? No, I didn't. But oh, you're yeah. a much better person than I. So, yeah, and let me tell you, Miranda, one of the things about studying abroad that uh, was kind of like, you know, perpetrated that decision for me not to go is I was just so confused about it like it seemed like there was a lot of a lot of things that I needed to know and I guess I just didn't ask the right questions but thankfully if you're listening today you're not going to be in the position hopefully where uh, you're not going to have those questions answered because we have a crack team of study abroad experts with us today including Margaret Ogg she's our program coordinator uh, of study abroad at Wayne State University Margaret how you doing today I'm great thank you good can I call you Marge or Maggie or Midge or just no. Margaret is good <laughs> Margaret's good we'll just yes. stick with Margaret and a couple of quick and loans team members that we're very happy to have here let's start with Victoria Slater uh, Victoria where did you study I studied in London. Ah, pip pip cheerio. And of course, we have Patrick Chisholm. Uh, and where did you study, Patrick? Hey, Sean, I was um, at Qingdao University. Qingdao? And that's in China. Okay, I was going to say that uh, that could, I don't know anything about <laughs> the, the East, the Far East, so that could be just about anywhere. So thank you for clarifying. So uh, before we get into some of the personal experiences that our team members have had, why don't we start with Margaret? Margaret, can you just kind of give us like a basic overview? What are some of the biggest benefits of, of a study abroad program? Why would people want to consider doing that? Sure. Um, you know, I think that it's one a question I get often. Um, and a lot of the benefits are not necessarily quantifiable mm. until you either witness somebody going abroad or you go abroad yourself. Um, and even though you said you didn't necessarily study abroad, going abroad, I'm sure, especially to Uganda, opened up your... Um, mind in a lot of different ways. Uh, one of the first things that I would say, one of my favorite yeah. personal benefits of studying abroad through myself and other students is um, more or less a personal growth. So you see a student who may not be a very good public speaker, sure. and then all of a sudden they come back um, 
and they're lighting up a room with their experience in front of deans of colleges and donors. And you're like, who is who is this person? Yeah, wow. And who wouldn't want to hire that kind of person, right? So feeding into the next benefit, which uh, a lot of um, research has been done about what type of employees are made from um, students who have studied abroad. And there's a lot of good research to show that they have better leadership skills. They have hmm. better intercultural communication skills. Um, they're adaptability to different environments, whether even if it's in the U.S., is greatly improved. So obviously living in a very connected world that we have, the whole uh, dealing with people of different cultures is a huge component of that. But one thing that you, you mentioned that's really interesting to me is this whole notion of like kind of like finding yourself in that confidence. Is that, does that have to do with just the travel or is that just the fact that they had the, the confidence to be able to, to immerse themselves in another culture? How, how does that work? I would say it's probably a combination of all those things. Um, I think one of the things that, you know, you set a goal, you say, I want to go to China and I want to learn um, conversational Mandarin, for example. Um, And a lot of times you can, it's a a goal in which you can see the whole um, progression of that and come back and say, oh my gosh, not only did I learn just conversational Mandarin, but I also learned so much about the cultural Mm -hmm. aspect of the language and that kind of thing. So it's something that you can see that you set a goal and you attained it. And it's, um, so that, I think that's part of it. But then also these other elements, like um, I used to co-lead a group to Paris and take a lot of Detroiters with me. And they, you know, as Detroiters, we don't really function on public transportation. Um, oh, yeah. It's a world-class system we have <laughs> that's here. That's another podcast. Yeah. Um, but essentially, you see these kids that have never been on subways the first day relying on me and freaking out and so nervous. And um, by day two, they're like, oh, my gosh, did you have yeah. you ever taken the metro to this They're part of Paris? They're practically Parisians, or, right? And I'm like, yeah. what happened to you? over the? So those are the kinds of things where it gives you that confidence even coming back to say, hey, I could move to New York if I wanted or, you know, stay here, but essentially go and not and be less inhibited. Yeah. So it's like getting out of your comfort zone. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. Let's uh, let's talk to our, our panel of uh, QL team members who have studied abroad. Let's start with Victoria. Uh, London. What brought you to London? Well, I was an economics major, and I wanted to study at the London School of Economics. So it was just more of just like a personal goal. That That is a very uh, revered institution with regard to economics, if I'm not mistaken. Yes, it is. Okay. Um, so I, I picked my school, and it happened to be in London, and so that's how I found myself in London. So that's interesting. I, I think a lot of people might, and pardon me if this is ignorant, but you look at London, you're like, wow, that's, you know, that's definitely a a different country, but it's more familiar, I think, to the United States. So can you tell us a little bit about some of the the cultural things that you learned, some of the things that when you're in London, uh, maybe surprised you a little bit about the experience? Sure. So when I went to London, I kind of assumed that England was just like a smaller version of America. Yeah. Um, Everybody speaks English. And (laughs) I mean, the cultures are... I'm sure they'd love for you to to feel that way. Right. (laughs) Uh, so the, I mean, the cultures are quite similar in a lot of ways. Um, I think that the way people interact, though, is quite different. Um, some of the slang is quite different. Yeah. Um, so when you get there, you know, there is kind of a, an adjustment period where you don't necessarily understand what people are saying or you say things that are maybe a little bit weird that, <laughs> you know, people are saying, oh, wow, we would have never said that <laughs> right. in public or oh, to wow. somebody's face or, um, you know, 
How yeah. dare you get out of it, my country? Exactly that regards. <laughs> How long did it really kind of take you to acclimate yourselves to British culture? I mean, was it was it a, a steep learning curve or was it something that you kind of got into pretty quickly? I think I probably got into it after a month or two. Yeah. Um, I think that there were two adjustment periods. One, adjusting to a different culture, being the British culture, but then also adjusting to a big city. Yeah. Um, so we talked a little bit about yeah. you know, public transportation. Um, that was something, just very sh- small things about living in a big city that- the tube. Yeah, exactly. That I, you know, I, it took me quite a few weeks to yeah. finally understand the tube. Um, because I was from Detroit and I yeah. and had never taken public they have basic infrastructure there that we don't. Yeah. Right, exactly. Yeah. Or, um, you know, adjusting to being able to, you know, go to any restaurant you want at any time. I mean, everything's open pretty much 24-7. Wow. Um, so kind of getting used to being in a big city was an adjustment. And then also being in a foreign country. Interesting. I think there's kind of like a mental block, too, that... Yeah. Um, once I was there for quite, for a while, I realized how similar the cultures were. Yeah. But when you initially get there, everything just seems so different. Speaking of different, I know there's probably not too few places on the uh, the planet that might be a little different than the United States than, than China is. And Patrick, I know you had the uh, the pleasure of, of it. Tell me just what was that like? I mean, you, you, you couldn't have been more of a stranger in a strange land there, huh? Yeah, I, guess I, I didn't speak... Um any Chinese when I um, got there. Um, I um, was actually working in a bookstore in the U.S., and a woman came up and bought about 50 folders from me. And I thought, you know, I asked her, I said, why are you buying 50 folders? And she said, oh, I, I work in uh, the China department at, uh, at, my, uh, at the school. And uh, I was like, oh, well, that's neat. And she said, yeah, would you like a scholarship? <laughs> and so what? she just offered me a scholarship right there in the bookstore. <laughs> and... I was like, well, I'm, you know, not doing much with college right just now. Just that so. easy, huh? Right? <laughs> so, um, I, uh, yeah, I just, uh, the next semester, I just packed up and moved to uh, Qingdao, China. So it was, um, yeah, very different, especially wow. for me. So most of the people I went with were uh, well-versed in at least, you know, the Americanized version of, of uh, China. They, they knew a little bit about it. They okay. knew some of the language. Um, but I was a clean slate. Uh, which I kind of am glad. I'm kind yeah. of glad I didn't have any like preconceptions about what I was going into. Um, I, I learned a lot. We uh, had a program that was about uh, 20 hours of Chinese language classes a week, and that was you know very very intense. Yeah. And then I spent about 10 hours a week uh, teaching. I taught um, English to uh, uh, five and six year olds um, and uh, some high school students and uh, a businessman. They would all just kind of like, they'd, they'd flock to you because they wanted to learn English. In China, learning English is, uh, it's looked upon with high value. People mm-hmm. think it's, you know, very useful. And so there were a lot of opportunities to teach English to students, um, uh, young students, old students, some business uh, men and women were interested in learning from us. So it was a lot of opportunity to uh, learn about, um, well, learning Chinese, but also learning how to teach and learning at that um you know, more from like an academic and even professional life, it was a good place for me to kind of learn those skills. Interesting. So yeah. Victoria went there with a very specific purpose. She wanted to study at the London School of Economics. So what you're saying is you just, it was on a, a whim, shoot. kind of. Yeah, <laughs> so what did you, outside of, of, of teaching English, like what else did you do while you were there? What else did you learn or what else did you experience? Yeah, it was It was always, each day was different, really? very different. Yeah. Um, it. it felt foreign and i mean like it not just like you know you go on a trip to 
Cancun or something, it felt like you're just like, whoa, this is weird. Yeah. Every day strange things would happen. Like I went to, uh, where was it, Weifang, which was, I guess they call it the kite city. Um, they've got a lot of kites. It's like their thing. And um, there weren't a lot of outsiders there at the time. And uh, so when we walked in, it was it was kind of an, an exciting thing, you know, like, like you know, they don't see many people that aren't from Weifang. And so, like, people would come and bring me their babies and they, you know, have me hold their babies. And babies really? in China, like, they, they they have, like, splits in their pants so they can, like, like poop on the grass. It's it's the it's the strangest thing. It works, and it's it's the squatty thing, and it teaches them how to, to use the bathroom. Yeah. Um. So all the baby clothes have these splits in their pants, and I didn't know that at the time. And so I got the Weifang, and all these like, literally butt naked babies are just like you know <laughs> popping out, and I'm holding them, and it's just like, and it was almost like they just wanted me to hold each of their babies, and you know, very nice. Um. There were times where I had a man from oh somewhere in southern China, and he came up to our school because he wanted to study English. Like actually study, um, not not to learn, but to understand, you know, how it worked, how the makeup sure. was. And he uh, he asked me to read sentences, and most of them had to do with Justin Bieber. And I don't know why, <laughs> but he was just fascinated with sentences about Justin Bieber. And he also had very like stereotypical, or stereotypical, I guess, to them. They thought that uh, there was a sentence that said. All American women have blonde hair and blue eyes. It was yeah. like things like yeah. that. There's just it was which is correct. If I'm correct, yeah, 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 right. yeah. They they know what's going on. Yeah. So um, yeah, it was just things like that would just happen on a regular basis, and it kind of taught me to be a little more uh, versatile, you know. And uh, uh, kind of as Margaret was saying, kind of I guess prepare me for uh, what was going to come next because we really just didn't know. You know, it was just going to be kind of a, a literally an adventure every day. That is incredible. And I'll bet uh, Victoria, while she was in England, probably didn't have a whole lot of people coming up asking her to uh, pronounce Justin Bieber sentences in, in no. American English, did you? Uh, no. <laughs> Some people did ask me to say certain words uh, with an American accent. For fun? Yeah. Like what? Uh, like kindergarten or um, aluminum, because they say... Aluminum? Aluminum. Laboratory? Um, exactly. Yeah. So it's kind of funny coming back. I'll sometimes get the words mistaken. Really? Yeah, and I'll say Just aluminum, and yeah. everyone here laughs at me, which well. is the same thing it was in England. I yeah. would say the words, and they would laugh at me. Of so course. It's a, so you just you can't exa- win either way, I just can't way, win really. either way, yeah. That's a shame. Oh, it's really interesting hearing you guys talk about it, because one of the things that I think held me back when I was in college um, was just thinking I studied public relations and a little bit of film, and so I'm like, oh, where am I going to go study abroad for what I do? And so Hollywood. I mean, Right? Yeah. Like, does that count as study abroad? So, I mean, Victoria, you had a very clear path. And Patrick, you kind of just stumbled into it. Um, But Margaret, maybe you can speak to, are there opportunities for every major? Do you really have to go to study what you're studying here, what you're majoring in? Could it be something more aligned to what Patrick did and just to learn something new and experience something new? Um, I think you touched exactly on it essentially like um i think one of the misconceptions of study abroad is that you have to be a spanish major to go to spain or um, learn spanish but typically if you plan or in patrick's example if you don't plan um, sometimes it works out really well um but in most cases for depending on you know maybe your school doesn't have um a journalism program abroad for example but as a journalism, or I'm sorry, broadcasting student, you had to take 
maybe a foreign language or a foreign culture class. So there are programs that we offer that would, you know, let any major essentially go on them. And that's really more, I think study abroad has moved further into that direction. Um, And maybe my uh, older sister's um, kind of generation, it was more of you go junior year, you, it's a long-term thing. Study abroad has moved away from, um, and not because, you know, colleges are saying, hey, let's move away from sending students abroad for semesters, et cetera. But most students are trying to go on these shorter term programs, summer programs. Um, so, yes, there in a lot of ways, there's opportunities for a lot of different majors. But just because if your major doesn't offer a program abroad doesn't mean you can't go. Seems like there's a lot of flexibility that I just didn't know was the case. Like yeah, I, sure. I was thinking the same thing. The only reason I had the opportunity to go to Cuba is because I was taking a political science class, and obviously they have a very interesting political <laughs> system down there. But uh, uh, one thing that I, I got to tell you was like a major barrier for me, and maybe you can talk about this a little bit, Margaret, was uh, was the financial aspect of it. So sure. what opportunities exist for people, unlike Patrick, who are just offered scholarships <laughs> for no reason, uh, for people to study abroad? How, how do you pay for that, and what are some of the financial implications there? It is a very complex question. Okay. <laughs> I will do my best to sure. not spend an entire hour on it. Um, <laughs> sure. I think one of the um, things that I recommend to students when they come to me and they say, Where are the study abroad scholarships? I say, mm, Strike that from your not vocabulary. Yeah. There are some, absolutely. But I say, Ask where the money is, ask where the uh-huh. scholarships are at your university because. Um, I don't think enough students look at the scholarships uh, website on at their university, and a lot of them, you just have to take maybe one class to qualify <laughs> for a scholarship. Uh, so I say any money, find any money that you can, because say um, there's a scholarship for your major, it has nothing to do with study abroad, but it's $5,000. That frees up maybe $5,000 mm. that you would have spent um, on your tuition or whatever. So that's one thing. The other thing is planning. Okay. Not a lot of college students are the best at. It's hard. It's really difficult, and I get that because um, my second study abroad experience was basically I saw a flyer on the wall (laughs) after I had left the advisor's office that said you need eight elective credits to graduate, and the um, flyer said eight credits in Italy (laughs) for four weeks. I was like, bam! (laughs) I did a cost analysis to my parents, and I said, this is what it'll cost to keep me here for an entire semester. You know, so I think going back to planning and if, you know, you're selling it to your parents, that's one thing. But going back to funding it on your own, the location in which you go, where you go, has a lot of influence on how much money is available. Oh, so sure. I wasn't, I was sort of shocked to hear Patrick um, say that he found, somebody just found him and gave him a scholarship. But China is one of those places that... Um, the government wants students to go to companies want students to go to so there's a lot of grant opportunities mm-hmm. for I will say, places I'm like sorry, china not, yeah go ahead um when i was uh there one of the stipulations of my scholarship was to be an ambassador for my school to get students to come to our school oh, okay. so it was it was kind of like there was a little bit of a trade-off happening so it wasn't exactly just free money. It was, uh, you know, do a little bit of work for us. And so. Well, you didn't have like a quota or There anything, wasn't a quota. <laughs> I, I pretty <laughs> much just had to sit at a students. desk and, and people would come up and talk to me about what it was like in America. There you go. So. Seems like a pretty uh, fair trade. Yeah. Talk about Justin Bieber. Yeah. We actually talked about Brad Pitt. Oh, That was really? a big, big topic of um, excitement. Interesting. I understand that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> well, he's from 
I went to school at Missouri State University, and Brad Pitt is uh, from the same town. Uh-huh. And so they would always ask, well, what's in Missouri? That was like their first question, and it's a good question. <laughs> um, <laughs> and we're like, well, it's where Brad Pitt's from, and uh, that translates pretty well in, uh, in yeah. Chinese. Yeah, they so get that one. They got Brad Pitt, and they're like, oh, yeah, we're going there. Yeah, perfect. So. <laughs> I love it. And how about you, Victoria? What was your uh, financial plan? Obviously, studying economics, you probably had something very specific in mind, but uh, I'm assuming that nobody offered you a scholarship at a bookstore to go study in England. So. No, uh, London isn't the kind of place I feel like that people just offer you money to <laughs> go to. Yeah. Um, so I I was a bit different. I My brother had studied abroad, uh, and so starting when I was 12, I kind of got the idea that I was going to do that. So I had a couple years to save beforehand. So I got help with tuition and room and board, but uh, getting there, getting back, all the travel that I did while I was there, I had paid for on my own. Um, it is very expensive, but I think that you just need to look at it like college in general, which it's just an investment. Yeah, it's life experience. Yeah. yeah. And when I was interviewing for jobs and internships, that was pretty much the only thing that people wanted to talk about was really? me going to the London School of Economics because it, I mean, it shows that you can function in a different culture and you are adaptable and you can be patient Um, so I think that for me it didn't really matter what the cost was uh, because I knew how good it was going to be for my future and I think that people need to kind of look at it that way that yeah yeah, it's maybe a little bit more expensive than school here but it's an investment in your future yes absolutely let's go back to Patrick here for a second because I'm sure you probably with your experience had uh, a few of these what are some of the common misconceptions about uh, studying abroad or some of the things that maybe you wish you uh, would have known before you embarked on that uh, you learned quickly while you were over in China? Um, I, I think I went with the expectation that things are going to be just as organized as they were on the U.S. side of things. Mm. And so because you know, the, the program we had in the U.S. was you know, very well organized, but we got to the, the Chinese side and it was a little, I mean, there's obviously the communication barrier and um there's a little, you know, chaos of being like left at airport. I mean, lots of stuff where you're just kind of like, ah, shoot, and you kind of just had to to roll with the punches in in that uh, those situations. Um, misconceptions, I think, you know, people will say you you adjust the food pretty fast. That's what they always told us when we got there. Mm-hmm. I didn't. No. Um, <laughs> I really. I uh, I did find uh, a McDonald's, a, a my Dong Lao. And uh, which was fantastic. It was like my my saving grace. I got food poisoning um, because I ate um, just kind of at a, a sketchy street vendor once. It was my own fault. I, yeah, which is actually one of the things that they specifically told us not to do. Uh-oh. And I, I did anyways. Um, but uh, where was I going with that? Street vendor. McDonald's. 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 Yeah. And so McDonald's was for some reason the one thing I could eat that... I could keep in my stomach. It was like my my stomach was like, okay, we've had this before. Really? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was that bad, Patrick. I, mean, I was were... I was yeah. I remember because where I was had a lot of like fog. I remember it was like yeah. a really foggy area. Yeah. And one time I was I had I had so much like like stomach sickness. But I was kind of like I knew I needed to eat something. I was wandering through the fog trying to find. And there was like wow. there were these golden arches like glowing so in the distance. Now and that's a commercial. It was if I've ever it was beautiful, one. Sean. Yeah. And and I uh, and I ate that burger and it was and I felt better. Like it was yeah. a, it was a magic burger and um, that was. So really, that was kind of a misconception. And, so, and that might not be everyone's experience. And I did find that I did adjust eventually. But for that first couple of months, I was, uh, you know, in between 
McDonald's and and then you know tasting other foods, but then immediately getting sick and, yeah. and repeating. Well, I mean, I applaud your exploratory nature there. So yes. good for you. Thank you. And speaking of exploratory cuisine. England is not exactly renowned for their <laughs> wonderful food, and no disrespect to our, our our British compatriots, but did you have a similar adjustment, or were you? I mean, was it pretty much the same? Uh, I mean, the food is similar. I yeah. think that I had to get over um, some of the the names of the foods. Bangers uh, and mash. Bangers and, and mash. That's yeah. specifically <laughs> the one that yeah. I had issues Just with. Mental block right yeah, there. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, so there were a couple of foods. And I was like, oh, I don't know if I want to try that. Yeah. Uh, but they have wonderful fish and chips. Mm. And they have really good cider. They have really good beer. London is unique because you can get all of these different food options. So you have Chinatown. You have places you can get really good Italian food. I mean, it's just like a huge melting pot. So the best uh, Indian food. Yeah. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> there like national India. dish uh, tikka masala or mm-hmm. something like that? Which you know makes sense because surprisingly in Uganda, I ate a lot of Indian food really? and it was delicious. It's the best Indian food yeah, I've ever had. I love Indian food. It's good. But uh, I mean, maybe that's another podcast. Can you, <laughs> can you tell us a little bit? Uh, Patrick talked about some um, some misconceptions or some things. That, what were some of the uh, learning curve adjustments? Things that you had to make. Well, I think Patrick did a really good job of saying that. Um, just because you go through your school doesn't mean it's going to be all that organized. Yeah. So my, at least my first study abroad, um, our professors just kind of like threw us in there and said, we're just going to let you figure this out. Um, right. Which is kind of terrifying if you, you know, you've never used a system, you've never been to that country. Um, Sink or swim. Yes, exactly. Um, It obviously gets a lot easier. Um, But I think another big one is that as soon as you get off the plane, you're going to be having the time of your life. So I get off the plane, I'm overwhelmed, I'm tired, I don't, I can't figure out where the tube is. Um, So I think that a lot of people that I talked to beforehand and said, oh, this is going to be the best time of your life, which it is and it was, the first couple days were quite challenging. Just get past that initial terrifying stranger right. in a strange land kind of thing, right. and then you're you're good. Well, yeah, and I mean, especially if you have to set up a bank account or if you have to find where your apartment is, you have to register for classes. Yeah, we had to get uh, cell phones. That was a, a weird thing for us. There was a whole oh cell gosh, phone yeah. system that was different over there. Wow. I mean, just the things that you take for granted here in the United States are... Mm-hmm. You know, probably even more complicated overseas, but you know. Oh, absolutely. But again, once you get past that initial shock, right? Of exactly. Things, yeah. and, and then, then you part can... of the development of your experience. Yeah, yeah. You as it's a character person. Building. Yeah. Yeah. So let's assume <laughs> that from this conversation, we've got some people out there that are really interested in uh, in studying abroad. Margaret, what are, what are some of the steps that they can take uh, to make sure that they can maybe get in on this? Because I think this uh, this podcast is going to be. Uh, release right around the time that school's starting. So is this something they just want to, you know, get in as quickly as they can? Like, if I'm interested in studying abroad, what do I do? Well, I think if you are beginning, say you're a freshman beginning at a university this fall, first check your uh, university's website if you have a study abroad office and see what options are available to you. That's um, first and foremost. Mm-hmm. I do typically recommend going through your host university okay. when possible because if when you do have scholarships that are tied to your university and the, the money specific to that, then you would be able to use those scholarships just as if you were on campus. Um, so start there. Okay. That's And find out what a lot of universities have 
certain um, requirements that you would have to do <clears throat> in order to go on maybe another university's programs and that kind of thing. So start with, with your university's website. If you're not a um, college kid yet, you can just start Googling study abroad options, mm-hmm. you know, and there's a lot of different um, online resources that you can see where people are going, that kind of thing. But I, when I sit down with a student in an advising session, I ask them, what is your objective? What do you want to do? Yeah. What are your goals? Um, because a lot, and a lot of students will say, I don't really care. I just want to go abroad. So send me in that direction. And then I kind of help them whittle it down. So I think when you're really broad, you absolutely do need to meet with an advisor on your campus because there's so many options. But I say start early. You know, a lot of people kind of discourage freshmen from waiting. And I think that's the wrong approach because just like Victoria said, she had been planning in her head since she was 12 (laughs) that she was going. So um, not that it takes eight years to plan, um, but I would say the more time you have to plan, plan where you're going and that kind of thing. And going back to like funding and where to go, you know, I would say there are more affordable places than others. You know, London is probably one of the most expensive places sure. to go yeah. next to um, Australia and New Zealand. So depending on where you g- want to go, you need more essentially planning. So yeah. start there. Find out, come up with a, a plan. You know, I think um, like you said, Victoria, it's an investment. So you wouldn't go buy a car and just be like, hit the, hit the yeah. button, got this, this one. This one's blue. This one's good. Or work quick and loans. Buy, a, get a mortgage yeah. and do no research, that's a, right? That's a so great. let's say, um, you know, come up with come up with a plan. And I know, again, they're your college kids, so you think, I don't know what I want to do. But um, sometimes just like, you know, starting with the website and talking to an advisor can get you started on the right direction. And also, again, you know, every university does it differently. So it's really hard for me to say one blanketed way to start it, but I would always start with the website and set up an advising appointment. It may sure. seem simple, but I'm sure a lot of people aren't doing it, and that's a great place to start, right? right. They're not doing it till their junior year. Right. <laughs> and then and they're, they're like, oh, wait, Potentially I missing out on this. opportunities. Right. Oh, that's a tragedy. Yep. Uh, Miranda, do you have anything else? No, I think this was a great conversation, and and hopefully it helps people out there who are interested in in studying abroad. Makes me wish I was back in college personally. Yeah. I wish I could have gone to Cuba, but nah, whatever. A couple of years, right? I think they're yeah. they're opening up relations. They're opening anyway. up. Yeah. You can go again. <laughs> All right. So I want to thank our guest, Margaret Ogg from uh, Wayne State University. We've got Patrick Chisholm, who visited uh, China, and Victoria Slater of the London School of Economics. So thank you three for uh, joining us today. Thank you, guys. Thank you. You know, there's something pretty cool that we're doing here at Quicken Loans. It's called Rocket Mortgage, and it's the first completely online way to get a mortgage approval. Oh, yeah, I've heard of that. So basically, we've taken all the complicated, time-consuming parts about applying for a mortgage, um, like getting your paperwork together, finding old pay stubs. the worst. I know, right? But we've automated the process. It's really simple, fast, and convenient. You can even do it on your phone. You know, and that's that's just amazing. It takes just like a few minutes. And when you think about all the dumb stuff you do on your phone every day, this is actually something really cool and really amazing. So if you're looking to refinance your mortgage or even buy a home, check out rocketmortgage.com. Rocket. Rocket. <laughs> Let's take a moment to thank all the folks who made the Zing podcast possible. Natalie Ness is our producer, Justina Kopaz is our project manager, and Leah Castile did everything technical. We also want to thank some folks on the Quicken Loans creative team, Rob Frapier, 
Keith Stouffer, and Sean Pavlishin. Rhonda McGill is our legal lady. Rhonda, where is that disclaimer you wanted? The persons or firms represented in this podcast are meant for informational purposes only, and the information provided is not intended to be considered as a recommendation or an endorsement by Quicken Loans. Please do your own research before making any decisions regarding the hiring of any professional. Equal Housing Lender, licensed in all 50 states, nationwide mortgage licensing system number 3030. Don't forget about all the great stuff on the Quicken Loans Zing blog. You can find hundreds of articles covering everything home, money, and lifestyle by using www.quickenloans.com blog. You can also check us out on social media. Like, tweet, repin, and favorite Quicken Loans on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, Pinterest, and Instagram. We'll be back soon with another edition of the Zing Podcast. But for now, from all of us here at Quicken Loans, this is Sean T. Johnston. And Miranda Crace. Thanks for listening.